What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. Who are we? We make and sell the ultimate products to perfect out your Austrian dual sport motorcycle, um, a KTM EXC, EXCF, XCFW, Husqvarna FE, and FES. And soon we'll be developing uh, some, some products and components for the Honda CRF 450L, RL, and X bikes. Uh, we build out bikes for our clients and friends from Sunday Trail Specials all the way up to fully equipped global slayers like what RTW Paul is riding on as he uh, travels around the world on an EXC 500. In late 21, we'll be rolling out a full-service suspension shop as well as a motor program, full rebuilds, blueprinting, balancing, getting rid of the motor buzz and the big board KTM thumpers, top-end valve grindings, uh, the works. Uh, we want to extend, ultimately, what we're after is to extend your ride day uh, and your endurance and your stamina and be able to keep you on the bike for more riding years. We've got a bunch of 70-year-old riders out there who, with our help, Hopefully, we'll be riding well into their 90s. Taco Motico, find us on the spe- on the, out on all the socials. Uh, go out and get some adventure. For episode 72 of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, Jimmy Lewis is joined by his co-host, Logan Tyler, and guest, Dallas Theobald, recent Ironman amateur class winner of the Vegas Torino race. And together, they discuss interesting topics such as peeing during racing, some free riding tips, sparks, KLRs, and TPIs. You'll also hear about a discussion about the differences between the KTM 2016 models and 2021 models, and you'll also learn why you should buy a used bike from Jimmy Lewis. Keep listening, because you'll find out. From Pahrump, it's Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Number, which number are we? think 72 you think 72 that's good thinking yeah um episode 72 of this uh show podcast uh information service that we like to call tech talk taco tuesday uh my name is jimmy lewis i'm a washed up ex motorcycle racer i'm here with logan who has yet really to do much uh in his life because he's just a kid still trying to figure out what's going on right logan yes and we're going to start, we're going to go break right into the show, because this is important, with our first question. Enough torturing Logan. Don't make him do the KTM ad bit anymore. Well, Logan, what do you think you need to do right now? KTM ad. Right. Got it? I think so. Okay. Hit it. Um, powered by the pie. Powered by oh, okay. We got to start. We got to start all over again. <laughs> you, so, so you remember? I told you when you're riding your mountain bike, you need to do it while you're riding your mountain bike, and then it'll get stuck in a certain part of your brain that you never really access, except when you have to. Because you know how when you're riding your bike, your motorcycle, and you don't think about which way you lean or how you turn the handlebars or when you spin the pedals or when you turn the throttle, that different stuff. You know, it's no. all no. That's how you need to do this thing. So you got to figure out how to memorize that sucker so you can just blast it out when some guy named. Less death. Less death. 69. (laughs) That's your fans. These are your fans on the Internet. They're trying to save you from me torturing you. Okay, so uh, KTM is a big sponsor of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, and they are. Powered by a distinct ready to race mentality. KTM has developed a. You keep going. No. Just rip it. Developed just pretend like you know what you're doing, even though you missed a couple words. 
Yeah, the world's leading high-performance street and off-road sport motorcycle manufacturer with North American headquarters in where? Marietta, California. Their KT- Over the years, KTM has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world. And the brand's remarkable global success is reflected in every product it develops and every move it makes. I have to read it, too. I don't, but I, that's that's what I'm here for, Logan, just to back you up and, yeah. tor- and torch you. Uh, we'd also like to thank Recluse. Uh, Recluse makes really awesome uh, auto clutches and clutch products. Uh, if you don't have a Recluse, then um, you're not as good of a rider as you could be because um, they elevate you at least one skill level in my world. And then Climb. Climb makes really good motorcycle gear, right, Logan? How come yes. you're not wearing your Climb shirt this week? It's in the dirty clothes. <laughs> right. Um, so a uh, little climb news. They they did something interesting. They released uh, some new colorways. So same gear, like a lot of the, the XC and Mojave and Dakar, they added some new colorways uh, just this week. And they're one press release that they're going to send out this week. So uh, if you're interested in – if your gear is ugly – and you need some better looking or a different color of climb because that's the only gear that, that you would wear. Uh, go check out their uh, website at www.climb.com. So now we've done all the business part of this show, right? Except yes. for the end where you're going to have to do that. So you can you can take this one and start memorizing it when you get bored over there or you got one over there. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't even cheat. It's no. good. Uh, so coming up on tonight's show, we have um, Dallas Theobald, who won the Ironman Amateur Class at Vegas Torino. We don't talk about racing, but uh, in racing, there's lots of teachable moments. So we're going to um, give Dallas a call and ask him how he prepared, uh, what he did, what uh, went right, what went wrong. And uh, according to some of my fans, they say I'm going to pick on him and beat up on him, but I'm not that mean. Uh <laughs> You. You, you, you've been here more than anybody else, Bob. You're the number, you're a number one fan. In fact, even you're not even on Facebook and, and you come up as a fan. And, uh, if anybody wants to complain about anything on this show, just send an email to Bob at dirtbiketest.com. And then you're going to get an instant email response from us. I promise you, uh, we'll take care of that right after you figure out what the 404 not found code stuff is. Uh, so I was going to read the climb thing, but I think I did a pretty good good job, right? The new designs and colors we released in this uh, we we released in spring are still remain current, and we're simply adding more colors to the lineup. That's uh, what climb said. Uh, what does Jeffrey Kraut want to know? Uh, please start a podcast. Great content. Um. What is this? <laughs> this well, I mean, if you're watching it, it's a it's a video, it's a vlog or a video or a show. But if you listen to it, it's just like a podcast. So uh, Jeffrey, just for you, I'm going to upload the first 30 episodes of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday up to the uh, the places where podcasts go to live, and then you can get them on iTunes and all those kind of places, so you can enjoy uh, the podcast that we've been doing for more than a year now. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, he watched our uh, KTM, uh, or no, our Tenere 700 video and said that he probably, actually, he probably just wants to listen to Heather talk because most people that watch that, that's, that's what they liked about that particular, uh, video. So I said we would go straight to the questions, um, in the chat room. Do we have any questions in the chat room yet? You see any, not, Logan? Not not questions. People just uh, giving us thumbs ups. To hell with beer. It's hot. Margarita time sounds good. Um, mm, nah, too much sugar for me. I actually still have my, this is a Loma Azul. Uh, that's what I'm having tonight. A little sip. Um, and uh, we're all good. So if you do have a question, uh, throw it up in there right now because there's a little bit of a delay. That's what you maybe don't see on, on uh, our side is that uh, we're probably about three to five minutes ahead of you uh, in this show. When when I'm talking right now, what you post up there is generally a little bit behind, depending on your internet connection and our internet connection. We have the rats and squirrels are running rapidly on the treadmill to generate as much internet power as possible right now. So that's where we stand. Um, let's go to the Hi Jimmy question. Um. I've enjoyed your article about the 2016 KTM 500 EXC. I've had this bike since 2015 as a new rider and learned to ride tight technical single track here in Washington State with it. How do you feel about the new EXCs compared to the 2016? I'm considering trading mine for a 2021 500 EXC but I'm not sure if I'd notice much difference as a new rider. What appeals to me is the lighter weight, narrow tank, shorter seat height, since it often drops the bike. Often, I often drop the bike because of the weight and the seat height in slow turns like steep switchbacks. My bike has 200... 70 hours, 7,800 miles, two cr crushed radiators, and sc scarred plastics. So I think it would cost me 5,500 to upgrade the upgrade the 2021 500 EXC. Okay, so he's got two questions in there. Um, so how do I compare the new ones to the old ones? And I have a lot of old ones, and... Um, don't have any real new ones. I have a couple 2019s. Um, and that's, is that the, no, the, the next, the 20 is the, the next, the next one. That's what you have. You have a 23. Okay. So, so, so like I always say, you go three or four years and all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to notice something. It's the one step. So if you had a, uh, a 19 and we're going to a 21 or an 18 and going to a 2021, 20, um, probably not a not a big difference they've made some steps but going from that version the 15 16 so 16 was the new one the the cutoff for the new the 16 was the last year i always get confused so many different things but you're you you will notice it um lighter weight yes the scale um lies it actually feels more than what the scale will tell you narrower a mm, little bit uh Shorter seat height. I think that's more of 
uh, the spring preload <laughs> that they check the bike with. I think the seat height is is essentially the same. So um, it's a little bit different engine character that helps the bike feel lighter. Um, I don't think it it doesn't feel like it makes as much like torque, like robust power. Um, but it, it has torque that you maybe don't necessarily feel as much. And it depends on how you, you know, what you do to modify it or change it. And you can go from mild to wild there. You can completely wreck it by <laughs> trying to make it run like a motocross bike, or you can leave it nearly stock and have a great running motorcycle. And net net, I think the newer ones are actually easier to ride. They're just, they're just smoother. The torque is, is just delivered a little bit better. Um, so they're, they're really good. Uh, your bike is tipping over and because of the seat height and slow turns and steep switchbacks. That has nothing to do with the bike and everything to do with your balance. And so um, that's a whole nother question. <laughs> um, you, you, you'll drop the brand new one exactly, exactly the same amount of times and for the exactly, exactly the same reasons because it has nothing to do with the bike. Uh your bike has 270 hours on it, so it means it's halfway broken in, uh, 7,800 miles. Eh, it's getting used good. And uh, I don't think it would cost you $5,500 to upgrade it um, unless you're talking about, like, selling your bike and then you think you're going to have to throw $5,500 more at it. Those 16s are still commanding a pretty good price, especially right now. We were just talking about this before the show. Like, hey, if you want to buy a, a couple of KTM 525s, got them for sale right now just get a hold of me i got two uh 2004 2005 and let me tell you about the ktm 525 like ktm had to stop making those because they made too much power and they had to make this piddly little 500 that all you girly men ride instead of a man's bike like the 525 and i i'm not kidding i'm getting old that's why i'm selling them i can't handle it anymore so if you want a real man's bike that the gnarliest desert bikes ever i mean they have six speed transmissions you know 520 they, they have a carburetor on there you know why ktm quit using carburetors because the government told them they had to <laughs> because the bikes make too much horsepower so if you need to get your ass on a motorcycle that moves along contact me and i got them their 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 showroom you know except they might have some scratches and a lot of time on them but I'm really, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm selling those. And I'm selling some KTM 250 RFS bikes as well. I'm on a liquidation phase here. So um, if you if you don't want to be caught riding a KTM 500, like all your piddly little friends, get a 525 for me and uh, and uh, let it rip. So, um, <laughs> yep, I'm being serious. And, and by, by the way, I have a, I have a Husaberg 570. So what do I even need a 525 for? I just need to get rid of them. I, I ride a Husaberg 570, bro. <laughs> uh, keep going with the question. Um, I love the look of the newer flat plastic fairings. That alone adds a lot. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, no, no. He, he, he start, started talking about the 350. No, no, right there. In your two... Remember? Oh. Oh, is that... A, I, was, I wonder if it's a whole... Oh, that's a whole different question. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, yeah. No, you got to read Jeff's question. In your 2018 350 EXCF article to talk about how good the few the new forks and rear shock are, do you think a new rider would notice the improvements over the 2016? I'm 150 pounds, riding the bike fully... S stick? Stick. Fully stick, yeah. That's, I like to stick my bike stock. 
<laughs> the only thing Stock. that bothers me is the harshness of hitting something with the front wheel at 45 plus mile per hours on a dirt road like a rock slightly protruding above the dirt i'm not sure if the newer bikes absorb those hits more okay so um I, it sounds like he has a 2016 also he's talking about the 350 and at 150 pounds and the bike is fully stock um if if you just took a new rider and hopped him on one bike and the other bike and they rode down a road and the bikes were set up exactly the same and you're hitting that one rock at 45 miles an hour probably not going to feel that much of a difference it's like you shouldn't hit a rock that's slightly protruding around. You should go around it, right? I mean, if you have the opportunity. When you said road, yeah. okay. If you're on a trail and there's a step and then you do it, then you should maybe use a little technique where you slightly lift the front wheel and then you unlight the bike and you float over that rock. But that's a whole riding technique thing that I don't like to talk about too much because then everybody thinks I'm picking on them. Um, I have a school for that. It's called Jimmy Lewis Off-Road Training. And we are back in business, by the way. You know we're back in business, Logan? Did you get the schedule? No. No, because you're not following us on Instagram and on Facebook and all the places where everybody else follows us. And we're not on TikTok. <laughs> so uh, the the other thing. So it, for a new rider, you it, until you start riding a lot of different bikes, you're not going to you're not going to notice these things. And it's not magic like one bike doesn't really work that much magically better than the others. As a new rider, what you might want to pay attention to, and this is what I just kind of picked out out of the ether of this question is where's your sag set at because i find that new riders typically don't know what sag is setting the sag and you can there's a hundred different videos on youtubes at least 10 of them are good about how to set your sag uh and you know so it tr tr to ride height and and the ride height affects the way the bike does everything so that'll change how the bike reacts to the bump then there is have you bled your forks lately when your forks build up air, that hit of that rock at that speed on that road, if you have just a little bit of air in your forks, it's going to make a big difference in how that bike absorbs that rock. You know that, like, that's one of the things I do on all my bikes all the time when we ride. I'm always bleeding air off the forks. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, one of the first things because they sit around and they build up pressure. And there's even times when I run negative air pressure in the forks or there's times when I know they're built up with air and I leave it. You know, I just, it's just, it's a setting thing and it's experience, but this is as a new rider, these are things you don't really know and things that I need to make a better point of, uh, doing some more technical articles, articles to explain this kind of stuff. So you can search it out and, um, maybe I'll do a YouTube video, but I have to have a contest or something to get people to like my shit. <laughs> Excuse my French. Uh, so the, um, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to notice a big difference, um, but the, the new forks are better. And I think where they're better is there there's a little bit better. They're a little bit better in um, like I would call it stiction. So some of what, you know, that that initial, but they just they seem like they just have better stroke control. The old ones don't feel like they're as soft in the bottom and as stiff at top. So less progressive. The new I think the new suspension has become more progressive without letting the bike become wallowy, which was a big problem when you made uh, suspension more, um, more progressive. So he likes to look at the newer flat plastic fairings and that alone adds a lot. 
Uh, and back to this 2016 versus 2020, the interesting thing is, is the stuff that KTM changed on those bikes. It's the, the, the lightness, the way the bike handles, just little subtle things that are changes are things that the consumer would have a really hard time doing through the aftermarket. And I think they realize that when they make frame changes, when they make, uh, you know, engine, uh, you know, weight distribution changes, things like that. Those are things that you really can't buy. You have to uh, you literally need a manufacturer to do it. You know, it's it's equivalent to switching engine mounts. And then and then where you how do you know you're getting the right ones? So good question. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks, uh, Jeff. And uh, and. was Jeffrey both of those guys? That was one. Is it only a single Jeffrey or both? Uh, Jeffrey and then Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was one question. I can't remember. So those came off of, uh, I think they were emailed directly to us at uh, Jimmy at Dirtbike Test. So, hey, I'm going to go into the, the chat room. We've got some questions. Uh, Rusty Nail says, thoughts on a recluse clutch on the Tenere 700? Um, I think he actually had a question later on. <laughs> Is that the same guy? Dallas. I, no, Dallas is. I got to call Dallas, but I think someplace Rusty might have emailed us. But oh. um, I don't know about my thoughts on a Recluse clutch on a Tenere 700. I actually um, reached out to Recluse to see about getting my hands on one to test it at some point or another. Uh, but in in my world, um, I, I I I'm almost getting to the point where I haven't met a bike that didn't like a Recluse clutch if you don't want to use the clutch like if you want to have the motorcycle do all the clutch work for you they're really good um i don't have them on all of my bikes a lot of them because i need to do schools and training on them and i need to talk about how the clutch works and do examples where the clutch works and even with a recluse in there even though the clutch lever will still work on most of the setups it still does what it does it's it's kind of hard to demonstrate because that little monkey inside your motor that recluse puts in there that does all the clutch work for you sometimes me and him are doing two different things at the same time so um but and i and i haven't gone to the point of putting them on my adventure bikes much because i don't really use the clutch at all when i'm riding my adventure bike it's kind of like i'm when i'm adventure riding i kind of get going and then i'm i don't like riding it in traffic and i think if i was riding it in a lot of traffic i might want one but uh I don't really use the clutch, so it's just haven't really um, played a lot with it. So until I try it, I can't tell you specifically on that bike. But I think if you like a recluse clutch on anything, I think it would be just fine on that particular uh, motorcycle. Mike Spurgeon, that's Taco Mike. I think I think Taco Mike's a sponsor of the show. Is Taco Mike a, is his, is his logo popping up behind me? <laughs> it's it's come up a couple times. Uh, besides weight, are there any practical reasons to you uh, use a lithium ion battery over a lead type version? Of course there are. There's nothing like a good fire underneath your seat when you're out trail riding. <laughs> Oh, wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, generally, that's that's a that's a <laughs> I've I've seen videos. I've I have not I've not witnessed it in person just yet. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but there's enough people doing dumb things with their motorcycles where they they they're the lead acid ones don't seem to do that. I run lithium ion batteries in almost every single bike that I have uh, uh, for the weight. Uh, for the cranking amps that you can get out of them. Uh, I've had really good luck with the durability on them. And I run Shoari batteries. 
Uh, I've had I've run uh, anti gravity for a while, and I think that uh, I think it's just kind of a kind of a win win when you're going to replace uh, the battery, but you do have to be a little more careful with it. Um, they're they're a little less susceptible to dum dum moves, um, you know, like uh, overcharging. And so when your rectifier regulator starts doing funny things or shorts, yeah, they don't like that very much. Uh, you have to remember a lithium ion battery kind of has to warm up in the morning. Like when you go start it in the cold, you don't want to just turn the bike on and just start cranking on it. You want to kind of give it a little blip and it actually warms and then the, the amperage builds up. And another interesting thing I found about them is if you do let them go dead, uh, they if they if you don't totally kill them, they come back to life pretty good, and they charge up really quick. They'll take they'll take the charge back quite quick compared to a lead acid battery. So if you if you have the ability to jump it off of another bike, and get your bike started, they'll be back up and good in about a minute or two. So um, uh, and trailside barbecues that's the other advantage if you need to. Uh, yes, Bob. They don't sulfate. They don't sulfate. So that that could be the reason for the longer life yeah. if they're treated properly. And then tell them the story about Washougal two years ago when the KTM I don't know caught on fire because of the uh, Andrew Short's batteries. So some of the batteries went bad. Yeah, I don't know the specifics of that, so I can't comment on it. But um, yeah, no, like like um, did, didn't airplanes fall out of the sky because lithium batteries caught on fire? No, not not. They didn't fall out of the sky. They no. just started smoking. Yeah, wreck the airplane. Um, Several times. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's like any new technology. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have uh, some issues, and like there's always if there's a change, there's always a you know there's some learning, and for every advantage you're gonna get, there's got to be a disadvantage someplace. So uh, if you're wondering why there's a quad up on the screen, uh, that's Patty Blaze, who's a fan of the show. <laughs> That's Patty. That's Patty. Uh, and uh, since I was out there shooting, I shot everything that went by, and she went by. So I thought I'd put her up on the uh, on the thing. So I did. I was true. We we can talk. See, we now we've talked about quads. Now we're done. Okay, we talked about quads. Now we're done. I don't. I don't. I don't hate her for that or discriminate. Um, Mike Spurgeon asks again, "What do you think of the AirPro automatic fork air bleed system?" I don't think about it because i don't know about it <laughs> so there's always there's always somebody that has something like that uh and uh, i prefer just to have the little caps the little push buttons on top of them and then it's it's real easy i don't have to get a screwdriver and i just like that and done and it's easy and if i didn't have 47 different bikes that i like to bleed forks on i would probably have them on every one so i have them on like 20 of them uh yeah rusty nail he says he's the same guy that's asking that recluse question. So we don't have to read that one later on, Logan. Okay. One, one less bit of work for you. Um, it's almost 730. Let's do, let's do the one long question here, and then I'll call Ooh. Dallas. Um, hi, Jimmy. Really been enjoying your show the last few weeks. It is nice to hear valuable feedback on stuff from someone that isn't a f flaring dumbass like so many of the YouTube teasers. I've got him are. fooled, didn't I? <laughs> are I agree with the users in the that I would like to hear the review of the KTM 790R. I brought one a bought one a few months ago, and I've 
been extremely happy with it. Originally, it didn't intend to do the stuff I do with it. Planned to buy a t- tiger? Tiger. Tiger. A Triumph Tiger 800. Well, I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that you're enjoying our content. Uh, see, we don't have to do, see, I don't have to do one on the KTM 790R since you already bought it because, like, the only reason I would do it is for you to send back and say, I bought it because you did that really nice review and then, and then, then it would be uh, paying dividends. But I know you know what I want to think of, what I, <laughs> you want to know what I think about it. On dirt bike test right now, there's a riding impression of that bike, um, and it hasn't changed uh, much, if all, since I rode it a while back. And I've I've ridden a lot of friends' bikes and customers' bikes, and I'm supposed to go ride the the rally replica that a friend of the show has uh, sometime soon. So, um, but I think that you made a good choice uh, on not buying the Triumph and. The reason is, is because if you're listening to the show, you're probably interested in off-road and dirt biking. And although Triumph has made some big advances going off-road, the one thing that I always notice as a dirt bike rider when I hop on a Triumph is I feel like I'm locked into the cockpit of that the riding compartment of that bike. And it's like you never had a dirt bike guy ride this in the development process. It it's a it's like a it's a sit down, tuck your elbows in. It's a very, and I know they're working on it, and I haven't ridden the latest version, and maybe they've improved it a little bit, but from what I can tell, it doesn't seem like the foot pegs have moved enough, and the, and the seat has moved enough in the proper directions, um, and the handlebars and triple clamps to make it feel like what a dirt bike rider is comfortable with. If you're a street bike guy, you'll hop on that thing and feel really comfortable, and then you go try to ride it in the dirt, and then you go, wow, I can't, if you're trying to ride properly, it's very hard to Ride properly. Kind of like the KTM 790 foot pegs. It's that kind of feeling. The foot pegs that are angled forward that are weird. Yeah. 390. Yeah, 390. Did I say 790? 390. Yeah. 790 is good. Uh, what's his next part? Uh, with intent of having something capable when the roads turn to dirt unexpectedly, unexpectedly in the middle of nowhere, Utah. After riding the 790... Figured it would be a better choice for me because it is more capable off-road and had no idea just how capable it really was until I started exploring its limits. Haven't found anything it doesn't do very well. Although it long, it's long wheelbase, my short 29-inch inseam and tall seat height have caught me out a few times. I found it hard to believe the Yamaha 700 is the same level and doubt it will have the opportunity to ride the in the near future. Riding the 790 inspired me to buy a f- more focused oriental oriented bike. Another new KTM this time a 300 EXC TPI. It has been fitted with a dual sport kit and is definitely the best dirt bike I've ever owned. Granted, it doesn't, it hasn't owned anything new in, I haven't owned anything new in 10 years. And so. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're coming off 10 years and you got an KTM 300 TPI, you just hit the pinnacle. You're, you're, you're riding the Ferrari of like available off-road bikes and, 
yeah, there's there's nothing even close. And how come you didn't like say that my review uh, was the reason you bought the 300 TPI? That would make me feel so much better. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, okay, so his question really becomes. Let's see. I mean, want, want me to read that part? Sure. It's odd trying to work out jetting issues on a fuel-injected two-stroke, though. When I got the bike, it was a bit flat down low, and that made it the hit a little excessive. Opening the air screw up and losing the power valve spring picked up the bottom a bit, but that smoothed the transition for me. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, jetting issues on the fuel-injected two-stroke. You need a fuel tuner to do that. And it's funny that you say that the bike had hit because, like, no one says that. That's a really strange um, thing about that bike because everybody, uh, you know, most people that have ridden for a while say that it has really smooth power. Uh, so, but good that you actually started playing with the power valve. But I found that if I moved the power valve at all from stock, I wanted to do some fuel tuning it was just the way it was because of when that and and you kind of have to realize the rpm range that you're running in um when you are you, you know if you're if you're really riding and most people that ride 300s that are not running them hard are really never even opening the power valve up believe it or not they're riding them just lugging them around and that's kind of an on off uh, throttle thing so uh uh try a fuel tuner um I think that would be good. And make sure that your bike is uh, has the latest maps in it from KTM. Uh, and I believe that there's there's a switch in there because you have the XC. I believe there's a two there's a switch. There's a there's a aggressive and a less aggressive, um, and that will uh, change the way the bike runs. So his he says next problem to address is I find myself chasing the front tire more than I should. So much more than even the 790. My hypothesis is the steering damper is helping keep the 790 in line and not deflect so easy. Uh, that's 70% incorrect. Uh, <laughs> I also need to find a way to stay in the cradle more easily when standing. Sad to say, but the 300 is almost too skinny for my old 53-year-old blank to hold on to as I should, and I find myself too much on the bars at times. Anyways, great show. Uh, what do you think I'm going to tell him? <laughs> Answer his question, Logan. Start with the start with the riding position. Um, go to the Jimmy Lewis off road school. Yeah, I was going to say that, but tell answer. How does he fix it? What's he do? What's what's he? What's he? What's his problem? What's the main problem? Putting too much hand weight in his hands. Right, and how, why do you do that? How do you fix it or what's why? The, what's the root cause of the problem? Balance. 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 He's out of balance on the motorcycle in a forward and backward sense. So he's literally on the motorcycle doing a push-up. Mm -hmm. Or he's falling off the back of the motorcycle and hanging on and pull doing a pull-up. Yes. So so it's it's more about like learning how to anticipate what you're doing. And that very same thing is what's causing the instability that you think the steering stabilizer is masking. So, so when you're falling forward on the bike or falling back on the bike, you're hanging on the handlebars. So if they, if, and if you're out of balance, so that's forward and backwards. If you're a little bit out of balance side to side, which I'm guessing you are, um, 
then you're steering the motorcycle. So now the bars are turning one way or the other. And so let's say you hit something or you get on a loose tra- traction surface and there's traction on the tire. That's like, a, that's like a steering damper. And then your KTM 790 has a steering damper built in, which is causing a little bit of it. But that type of steering damper um, does not uh, like it. It's not as good as like the, some of the aftermarket ones at, at kind of fixing that sort of a problem because they, they dampen both directions. So, so they're constantly damping sort of what you're doing. So it's masking what the real problem is. Um, uh, so I think you need to work on, uh, putting your weight on your feet and not your hands because we're not, um, we've evolved past that. And, and that's how you steer the motorcycles well with your feet, not with your hands. And then all of a sudden standing on that motorcycle becomes a lot easier. Actually, I think if you go to jimmylewisoffroad.com, we have some very basic balance drills in our video section, uh, someplace that'll just give you some starting points for that. And then uh, you'll have to look for our soon-to-be-launched online digital riding school that will uh, that will answer all the questions for a small fee, of course, right? <laughs> yeah, because like the good stuff you can get for free on on the YouTubes if you can find it. But the other stuff you're going to have to pay for. <laughs> so, uh, hey, thanks for the uh, thanks for the email, Danny. Uh, I think the other thing that you're dealing with is that is that 790 is heavier. And this is what I always tell people, especially when we're talking about training on, you know, people want to learn how to ride their adventure bike better. And I say, well, bring your small bike. And they're like, no, I want to learn how to ride my adventure bike better. And the thing is, with all that weight and all that mass, when you're when you're riding that bike, it's masking what you're actually doing. It's harder to knock that thing out of balance, especially when you get it moving, and so the bike doesn't respond to it. That 300 responds to every little move you make on it, so it will show you how to be a better rider on any bike you're on. Like the lighter bike, that's why trials riders become so good, is because they're so influential over what the motorcycle does, and then you carry that on to riding a dirt bike, you carry that on to riding a an adventure bike, and um, you learn what time is it oh we got to call dallas don't we oh, i just started getting we only going to take one question we're only one question uh <laughs> okay so yeah start start boning up on those questions there we'll get into those things let me uh let me dial them up here real quick on the two-way get them in on the two-way i have it set in my uh, speed dial uh here we go see if this works look at that it's amazing. Now, 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 you guys are just going to have to imagine what we're saying. We're actually talking to a real person. This is good. Hey, Dallas. Hey. You are live on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. Uh, we are going to talk about your uh, solo Ironman Vegas Torino experience. Very cool. I'm I'm hoping that uh, everybody can learn something from uh, from this, and I'm going to try not to be mean and pick on you because Logan says I'm mean to everybody. I can handle it. <laughs> so, so you won the you won the uh, Ironman Amateur class, and you will have to now be riding the Expert class. But you would have got third in Expert, right? That's correct. Yeah. By only how many seconds? Uh, I was 16 minutes behind the second place guy and 30 minutes behind the first place guy. Yeah. But I was I was like uh, 20 minutes ahead of the fourth place guy. So. Yeah, it's almost. Uh, it's almost commendable. Uh, yeah, so you're you're ready. You're ready for the you're ready for the big the big class. Uh, so you wanted to you wanted to kind of go over some of the the 
the stuff you did and see uh, where you uh, made positive things and uh, negative things. Yeah. So So where do we start? Um, Let's see. So the the very first thing that I noticed, um, and I'm sure you're probably going to rip me for this right off the bat, but uh, um, I spent a ton of time getting ready for this by doing a lot of cycling, uh, trying to build up more leg strength and whatnot. I come from a little... I started racing last year, and uh, most of the races were kind of hare and hound, uh, national hare and hound stuff like that. And I'm standing up all the time, and so I thought, gosh, if I'm going to be standing up for, you know, 11, 12, 13 hours, uh, I should make sure that uh, I build as much leg strength as possible. And uh, so I cycled for a couple months uh, prepping for this, and then uh, on race day, I found that I was sitting down for a lot of a lot of the race. So um, I have a picture of you. It's on the screen. It was on the screen right behind us. <laughs> sitting, sitting down. Sitting down. Yeah. Yep. Um, so my, my take on, on, on the best thing you can do to practice for long distance races is ride long distances, just straightforward. That's, you know, practice exactly what you're going to be doing. And then if you find when you're practicing or training that you have sort of a weakness, then, at that point, figure out a way to work on it, you know, go to the gym, you know, cycle, you know, run, whatever, whatever really kind of works out. But a lot of times until in the thing you you said, you've only been racing for a year, a little bit over a year. I mean, these Correct. are, these are things that you learn as you, as you go along and there's, you know, you can go down lots of different paths and they're not mistakes. They're, they're learning experiences. It's how you, it's how you get better. What it's, what it's, what works. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely figuring that out right now. Like uh, I, I've uh, really pushed myself to um, learn from a lot of people around me. I've I've been lucky enough because I've got quite a few uh, good riders that uh, are in the area here in Southern Utah, and uh, I've been able to. That's uh, Skylar Howes country. Yeah, Skylar Howes is actually uh, one of. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and he he actually helped me prepare for this race a lot. He he actually built. Uh, my bike for me and help prepped up prep all that and uh, gave me a lot of good pointers. And I mean, he is a good source. So um, I've been able to, I think advance pretty quickly through it, but it's, it's always my drive to just constantly get better and not, uh, not practice mistakes uh, all the time, practice, <laughs> practice the correct riding style if I can. So, yeah. So the, I mean, I mean, I talk about riding style and technique and stuff all the time and it's, it's, I'm, it's funny because I, I sat in I sat in that one turn. And I shot every single vehicle that went through, and having you know having a lot of expertise in the motorcycle riding thing, I, I literally saw three guys that went through that turn. Skyler being one of them, um, uh, that that did that little section. It was kind of a, it was a long straightaway followed by some heavy braking, a chicane kind of thing, some acceleration, then kind of downhill turn. And it was a and I was able to kind of be in some different positions to get photos, but just watching all the different quote techniques going through there and considering like pretty much 97% of them were just at the core, not, <laughs> not ideal. Uh, and it comes down to little stuff like where the breaking points were. And I have, I have a lot of it on video and I could kind of, I will at some point if I ever get the time, uh, break it down, like to watch where the good guys are breaking and then where they're doing their turning and where they're accelerating and, where their body position is on the motorcycle, it's definitely not sitting down in the middle of the seat. 
which was what most guys did was they they missed their breaking point or they didn't you know and, and it's it's hard to say breaking point because you have to do terrain reading and you've never been around that term before but they they were they came in a little bit hot and they're not good enough on their brakes to slow the bike down by the time they need so they're still continuing to brake while they're trying to start their turn so now the you can and you can see it so clearly in a lot of the videos with the wheels being out of line but it's out of line during deceleration which means you know think about it put your bike out of line and get on the brakes it doesn't work. <laughs> no, no. The back end starts wanting to come around. The front end wants to slide out. Then all of a sudden it's like, whoops, I'm going too fast and I'm out of control. And so then you kind of start seeing all these different techniques. Most riders were standing up when they were on their brakes or at least had their butt off the seat. I wouldn't really call it in the back of braking position. What they what they did at that point was drop down and stick a leg out. And then it was start praying. <laughs> you know, luckily, mostly because I went and moved a couple big boulders out of the outside of the berm you know because if, if the one rock that i moved wasn't there i would have got crash photos and i just don't even like that stuff so i kicked a big ass rock up over this berm and thank you and uh yeah you, you were you were close in the photo i have of you you were getting close you weren't up there where some of the other guys were <laughs> so um and i didn't you know like i said until until you told me your number i had to go back through and find the you know kind of find the sequence and stuff but like you say a lot of that sitting down is um, it's, I mean, when it's perfectly smooth, yeah, sit down, it's fine. But in off-road racing, it's rarely, rarely perfectly smooth and, you know, stuff can kind of sneak up and surprise you. Uh, so I always, I stood up like 99% of the time and it's kind of a, it's a learned, you know, thing that, you know, if your desk, your, your desk at your office or wherever you sit down was bouncing around, like even your off-road bike does on a washboardy road, which is what most of Vegas Torino is, you know, two track roads, you wouldn't sit on it. <laughs> if you had to do something, you know, intensive, you would actually kind of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, stand up. Make sense. Yeah. And I know that I must have been, you know, doing kind of the seat hover for a lot of it because uh, the next day, my quads were definitely, I was filling it in my quads. So I, I, I probably wasn't like sitting down on the seat as much as, uh, I think I was, but, uh, I was definitely down in a, in a very, very low position and not, uh, um, and I mean, obviously I, I don't want to be standing straight up, like, but, uh, you know, in more of an aggressive yeah, like a state. yeah, squat. You're essentially in like a some kind of like a squat position, which that's yeah. that's where you would feel it, and that's where you know even you know lots of riders do that after they ride for a full day. They they either feel the squat or the other thing I, I notice a lot of people tell me about is like their their legs feel kind of the same from from like having to hold them up because they've got them off the foot pegs all the time and they're always having to pick their legs up and with a heavy boot on and that's a that's a lot of exercise. <laughs> yeah. So what was the what was the next thing? Um, so, oh, so because of the excessive sitting, uh, I definitely, uh, got a, a good case of monkey butt, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure you've dealt with in the past I, too. You know, I, I kid you not. I I've, I've only had that like one or two times and it was like at wet extreme enduros, like where, you know, you're, you're literally doing, you're trying to use your butt to suck the seat up so you don't go flying off the back of the motorcycle. But, uh. I, I and I think that comes down to my stand up riding kind of all the time is that I don't sit down a whole lot, and so 
Uh, yeah, uh, monkey butt. <laughs> I don't know the. Yeah. They, they make pow- uh, they make powders for that. I know a lot of riders that pour a lot of uh, a lot of powders into their <laughs> into their uh, drawers before the before they ride. Um, I could do some research on it, but <laughs> I'd have to ask other people. Yeah. So uh, one other thing that I ran into. So I had a. I mean, I for the most part, I feel like I uh, was physically um, pretty prepared for it. And I didn't have a lot of like, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was 500 plus miles. It's a lot, that's a long day for and anybody on a bike, but what was your, what was your some, total time? 10 hours and 46 minutes. Yeah, Good on you. 10 hours and 46 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it, uh, I mean, it was definitely a, a long gruesome day for sure, but I feel like I, uh, I came out of it better than I thought I was going to. Um, but one of the things that I ran into, and it could have been a culmination of a handful of things. And uh, I mean, this applies to anybody riding, especially now in the summertime, but hydration and nutrition. Um, I struggle to take nutrition uh, before a race, any type of food or anything like that. I struggle to eat. And uh, that was one thing I dealt with on this. Is I, I tried to choke down some breakfast before the race and I couldn't really. Um, and so I was trying to make up for that, uh, throughout the race, which I obviously needed to take nutrition anyway. Um, but, uh, going along with the nutrition, uh, my hydration, um, I, uh, made a fatal mistake of not running, uh, we're going to call it the catheter. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, so I knew that I was going to have to jump off the bike at a pit occasionally or something and pee. And, uh, what I ran into is about halfway through the race at actually between pit nine and 10, I, uh, had been drinking so much fluid. I had to pee really bad and my stomach was like full of fluid, full of water. And I got super sick between pit nine and 10 because I had a full stomach. And so I, I actually started uh, throwing up a little bit and, uh, um, so I guess my whole question for you and you might know better than I is, the body anatomy, if you're not getting rid of it, uh, via peeing, um, and you just keep stacking it up in your stomach, can you see that, uh, being an issue and, and, uh, and causing problems? Um, so, yeah. So when, when, when I did Baja and I used to do two rider teams, so I rode on the bikes for long times. Johnny and I were trying to figure out how long we were on the bikes for, and it was like, you know, 10 and eight and 10 hours, uh, different times. Uh, I actually never had to pee in in those in those in the Baja races when I was on for that long. In the rallies, I just I just managed it. But you know, I think the longest we were ever on the bike in a stage was maybe like eight or nine hours again. And um, I had taught myself how much to drink. Uh, you know, I was kind of like mo- you know moderating how much I took in. I wasn't just like you know wolfing it in. To, to, to kind of play catch up or anything like that. I was probably using it as I needed. And I, and some people say I, I am kind of like a camel. Um, cause I don't, I like, I don't even care. Like most of the time when we ride, I carry water bottles with me, but I don't carry a hose with water. Cause I won't really drink while I'm riding. Um, yeah. and I never ran a catheter. Actually I had one, I did a car race, uh, where I was in the car for eight or nine hours and I had one there and didn't work very well. Didn't work out very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in in all the nationals and stuff that I've done, I've never had to pee during a race. I I pee ten times before the race starts, but I've never right. had to pee during the race. Yeah, and uh, 
but this was kind of unique. Hey, Logan, make a note that we need that we need to say that we talked about how to pee in this show, in yeah. the show notes. Yeah, yeah this, there is, we this go. is real important. Um, but uh, I think I think everybody's a little bit different, you know how you know their anatomy, how how stuff goes through them. I mean, I was never able to eat much in the morning before um, races, so I didn't. I just ate a lot the night before, and I, that's why I probably have a camel front as opposed to camelback. You know, it's that's what, <laughs> that's what I call my belly. Uh, but that's a camel toe. That's a camel toe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a camel. It's a camel uh, camel front, and uh, so so. It's, uh, but I, I learned a ton about the nutrition and eating while you're, uh, exercising and stuff. When I started doing, I started doing ultra marathons. So running long, long distances and, you know, you can eat such crap, you know, when you're doing that, you know, you're eating a lot of fat and sugary things and stuff. And it's, it's, it, it goes in you and you use it up and it's, it's all good. But that was something I really had to learn. And in the motorcycle racing, I never, I'm, it was. It wasn't until I started doing the extreme enduros that that I that I actually started really bonking on you know my body just playing, just running out of energy like to the point where, uh, you you know you, you just can't you know you're you're having like cramps that you can't you know control yourself anymore. So, yeah. But uh, you know I think now it's down to a much better science. But really the only way to find out about that is to is to train to the level that you're. You know, you want to, you want to race. And that's the same thing with, you know, when you're setting up your bike, you know, don't, don't set up your bike for the first hour of a 10 hour race, set it up for the middle five, you know? So at some point you got to take your, you know, your race bike and your settings and go ride it for five hours and say, Hey, now, how is it working? Um, little things, little things like that. And sometimes that's really difficult to do. Uh, but I see a lot of people making a lot of, you know, just kind of mistakes on not, you know, it prior preparation, but it sounds like you did, you know, kind of a lot of good stuff and, now you know. Now you you have your notes from this one, and you go back and figure out how to <laughs> how to make it work. Yeah, that, I mean, there's a lot of things that I would uh, that I would change, but it took going and doing it to figure that out. But uh, so I, yeah, I'm I'm happy with the results and happy with uh, the the information that I acquired. And you're right, uh, um, the bike setup was uh, you, as far as not setting it up uh, for the first hour of the race. Uh, that was so critical and I'm so glad that it was set up the way that it was because it was a little soft the first hour. Uh, but I'm glad it was set up the way it was for the, for the rest of the nine because it, <laughs> it seemed to, it seemed to, um, it seemed to r- ride and, and feel really good the whole race. And I was very did, pleased with it. Did you run, did you run the tire that Skylar did that, that Kenda dual sport tire? <laughs> No, so that was actually on my list of things to talk to you about. I, it's actually next here, so let's talk about it. Um, so I actually ran a Parker DT. Good and, choice. Uh, there, I'm with you. Rear. 100% thumbs up on that. <laughs> and uh, I, I've been running them for a while in in, uh, in all the other races that I've done. And uh, I I thought about running that uh, 270, I think is what it is, the dual mm-hmm. sport tire. Um, but I didn't have enough experience on it. And I thought this is not a good time to try to gain experience in the middle of a race. Excellent. On it. Excellent. Was, excellent point right there. I just want to bring, I just want to bring up what you said. Don't try to do something in a race you haven't done before. You, you know, don't, yeah. don't test, don't test during the race unless that's specifically what you're there for. So I knew there might be a possibility that I might have to do, uh, an additional tire change because of that choice, but it ended up working out really well. Uh, apparently I'm not quite the rider as a Skylar house or anything like that because I did, a, uh, I planned for a tire change at pit eight 
And when I pulled the tire off, it, I mean, I could have ridden it longer. I just don't know if it would have made it clear to the finish line. So I thought, you know what? Let's just do it while, you know, we, we yeah, had a plan. And, and as, as an Ironman, you know, there's times when you got to get off and eat. And, and this being said, you know, so so Ricky, Skyler, um, uh, Nick, Garvin also uh, was running Ironman. And uh, so was um, Jacob Arbright. So all the top guys are actually doing that race as Ironman. So they're kind of going through yeah. the same, you know, they're doing it as a pro team, but team, but by themselves. Uh, but they, you know, so they're doing the same thing. And, and like Ricky plans at certain gas stops and they're filling up a big, you know, a lot of gas, but he plans to get off the motorcycle and there's time for him to eat. And he's got a guy there handing him his stuff. And while he's eating, there's a guy stuffing stuff in his pocket so he can pick at it when he has the opportunity. And, you know, they he's drinking a certain amount and they're handing him a bottle and they're, you know, refilling his water pack. And it's a real, you know, big system. But I, I didn't I didn't ask him if he got off and peed. <laughs> I haven't asked him what his his uh, his pee strategy was on that. Right. But uh, but um, oh, so back to so, so kind of rolling back to the tire. Um, I I'm, I'm blown away that Skyler runs that. Um, but I understand, you know, I, I see the see the reasoning behind it. You know, it's, it's a tire that they that they feel is not going to chunk or wear out. And I always find that when you're getting a tire to do that kind of stuff, you're spinning it too much. And so the the dirt bike test kids, uh, which is Trevor Hunter, they went ahead and ran that tire as well. And I'm like, Trevor, what are you doing running that tire? Well, they're the ones that had all the pictures of the the, the Kendall Parker DT with the knobs yeah. completely blown off of it and a hole from in the it. 300. Yeah, from the from the other thing, and and it all comes down to uh, the what the rider's doing on the bike. And I could I could take any tire and you know, screw all the knobs off of it. It's really easy to do. All you have to do is spin it and skid it. And, and even they were even wearing their front tire out. And the only way I can explain it is imagine your rider is going down the freeway. No, imagine you're going down the freeway. And instead of slowing down by just applying the brakes, you slam on the brakes and skid. And then you back off and then you slam on the brakes and skid again. This is what the, the riders were doing a on the brakes that was killing most of it. But the way that they got back on the gas they weren't using the throttle as a modulation device. They were using it as an on-off switch, wide open or zero, wide open or zero. And imagine doing that in your car or your truck. You just don't do it. But people get on their dirt bikes, and not just racers, and not just racers in long-distance races where it's a really bad technique. And this is kind of comes back to when I was talking about guys, the way they were setting up for turns. They were like braking in a, you know, in a, in a crooked line and, and having to fight the bike and stuff. And all of a sudden... You know, that rear wheel was skidding. There's a lot of pictures I have where you see the, you know, you see the front, the motion blur of the front wheel and the rear wheel is locked up and skidding. And that's going to tear stuff off eventually. You're going to go across a nice big rock that sticks up about an inch and it's going to grab the knob and, and, you know, tear it right off. So that is kind of funny because I feel like the, um, the tires did a very good job for me. I'm, I'm obviously an amateur rider, not a pro or anything like that, but I feel like they did a really good job for me. I didn't chunk them at all. Um, they, they stopped well, they accelerated well, um, on that type of terrain and, uh, something that is an interesting thought about what you just said that kind of got my brain thinking here. And you can tell me what you think of it. Uh, this is the first time, and it's obviously probably because of the speeds and whatnot that I was going, but, um, this is the first time I've ever seen this, but, uh, after the race was over, my brake rotors were blued. Um, and I immediately thought, Oh my gosh, was I dragging brakes the entire race? And I couldn't front, imagine front, that was the and, case. front and rear 
front and rear, which is crazy because I've never seen it well, before. It, you know that I mean, it, it, I, I don't. You know, if you're if you're not familiar with Vegas Torino, it's basically a graded dirt road race. I mean, it is ninety ninety five percent of the roads are graded dirt roads, where you know when you come out of a turn, you get that bike straightened up, you get to wide open, you start banging through the gears, and then you're going to come up on a turn where you need to cut off, you know, seventy eighty percent of your speed, like and. And a lot of that, I mean, there's, it's, it's like, a. I mean, I've done Pike's Peak and it's like doing Pike's Peak for 500 miles, except, yeah. it, you know, back when I did Pike's Peak, it was still dirt. <laughs> so, so uh, I did it on a scooter too, cause I was scared of high speeds. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I can see that you get in the brakes really hot just from kind of normal use, but uh, a lot of riders do drag the rear brake and j- sometimes it's out of laziness. Sometimes it's out of, you know, trying to change the bike setup. But do you, did you do you think you might have been dragging the front a little bit? I don't think so. Here's what I kind of suspect. Um, so I uh, I I put a lot of I mean I use my front brake a lot in like the nationals and hardly use my rear. It's just a lot of front. The good technique. I don't know if that's good technique. Yeah, no, it is. Okay. Front slows you down. Well, the rears for control. Yeah. Well, coming. Uh, and uh, at this race, you know, you're coming into a lot of corners with a lot of speed. So I tried to maintain a lot of uh, um, front and rear braking, uh, which uh, I don't know if that's correct there. But I, I use the front and rear a lot more than I typically would. And what I'm what I'm kind of suspecting it, that was going on uh, to get the brakes as warm as they were is I was not skidding. Because when you skid, you're stopping the tire or stopping yeah. the wheel from turning, which would make it to where you're not getting the friction on on the the rotor and the pads, right? Yeah. So if it and, remains and turning, you're actually putting more heat into the brakes than if you are skidding the tire. Yeah, and sometimes riders will like kind of drag the brakes a little bit around turns to kind of settle the bike. I I don't like that technique. I think you know basically you, the brakes are to slow you down and ideas you want to ride as fast as you can <laughs> so yeah. so it's it's masking for something but that's just a it's a it's a technique but uh and and then it could have been where the where the rotors new yeah the rotors were new front and rear yeah so sometimes just being new rotors and being like right away exposed to really high stress levels they blew up earlier than one that's yeah. had a bunch of water on it and different dirt and stuff like that so sure. uh, yeah but uh any other so I, any other questions? Um, that uh, I mean, do you do you have any questions for me on the race so, before I move into one more question that I've got for you? Yeah. So what what bike did you ride? So uh, I actually hit you up about this a couple of weeks ago uh, about I have my KTM three fifty uh, XCF that I typically race. Uh-huh. Um, but getting ready for this race, I was looking at something else. I've got a national next weekend and I didn't want to have to try to do a full on bike prep between the two weeks. And so, uh, I was looking for another bike and I was actually going to use a 450 X. Uh, I kind of quizzed you on that, uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you had raced the 350 or a 450 You have to remember, I, I've had a concussion between now and then. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Um, and you told me the 450X. Well, uh, we started building a bike for this, uh, and um, I just kind of had an epiphany. Let, it looks like a Husky. It. It's a 501, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I had this 501, and I thought, you know what? Let's uh, let's do it because it was it was set up as more of like an enduro bike uh, just for, you know, plated kind of deal like that. And I was like, let's just build this bike because I've already got a bunch of KTM parts and wheels and tires and 
So we ended up building it, and I'm so glad we did because it, it actually worked out very well. I mean, that, this bike was an absolute— Is it, is it a FX or, or what do they call the Husky one? No, it's an FE. FE. So it was the, yeah. it was the dual sport one. Yeah. I mean, it's a 16, so it was never it was never plated or anything from the factory. It never had yeah. all the turn signals and stuff. Uh, I think they did that in 17 when they came factory right. with that stuff. So it was, uh, I mean, yeah, it was just kind of a, just kind of a little enduro bike. And, uh, what'd we, you do to get 75 horsepower out of it? I uh, sent the, or got a vortex from <laughs> blaze. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I'm, no, just, I, I'm just joking. Cause I mean, like I, I could take a stock KTM 500 and it would pretty much go as fast as I need it to on those. And you know, and then, and then when you roll it on, you know, like usually when you start doing all the stuff to them, they tend to spin the tire a little bit more, which is makes well, that, you have to be in more control. That's the thing is, uh, I, I really didn't need any more power out of it. I simply wanted to uh, make sure that I had, you know, a good air fuel ratio that was going to keep it uh, in check for the whole race. And so, yeah, as far as power goes, I mean, it's crazy because I ran a 1448 sprocket combo on that. And uh, you were top down. Yeah, gra- gravel road with that thing uh, on the wood, it, it went 106 miles an hour. And that was that was plenty fast for me. Can, can, I, so, can I ask you a personal question? Uh, sure. H- have you ever ridden a Husaberg 570? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, you, could, you could gear that thing up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it was funny. I thought that I was going to be up at that, uh, you know, 100 plus miles an hour more than I was. But. Uh, quite frankly, uh, you, I hovered in like the eighty mile an hour range a lot. Yeah, it's hard. Um, to, it's hard to get a dirt bike going hundred miles an hour in, in an off road race. And it's funny that that people are so concerned about their top speed all the time, and they'll actually gear their bike too high. Too much. And yeah. then, and then every time you make a shift, you you lose a little bit of time. And then every time you roll on, if you're not in the quote in the power band. You know, because your gearing's wide enough, you lose a little bit of time. And so net-net, even by being undergeared a little bit, you're going to be quite a bit faster over the course of the race. And you think about it, you know, you so your average speed was probably in the 50s somewhere? Yeah, 50. It was 50 over yeah. the course of the race. Yeah, so you want your bike to perform in the 50-mile-an-hour range. You want it to really accelerate, you know, in fourth and fifth and sixth gear. You want it to pull good across that kind of 50-mile-an-hour where you're going to be at. And it's really never going to be up from from 70 to 100 it's going to be at, at zero to 30 a lot more than it's going to be at 70 to 100 so get the bike to work there and that's where traction becomes pretty critical and then bob over here is waving his arms like a windmill and he wants to tell me something it's not how fast you go it's how fast you get there it's not how fast you go it's how fast you get there i guess that's Which is, from the peanut gallery <laughs> <laughs> i mean it is funny because um it, like I said, I was in that like 80 mile an hour range a lot. You just could never get, uh, I mean, you could get up into higher speeds, but, uh, you just ha- didn't have enough time to get there because the acceleration from 80 up to that hundred miles an hour was much slower than from, you know, 50 to 80. And, uh, I found myself in many circumstances where, um, if I had an, a slight incline, uh, an uphill incline, uh, it, it, uh, I mean, it was just barely pulling up there, huh. even if it was you know, a long stretch. I'm not saying that it was underpowered. So, so you, I, you, I you, were, you were you were quicker in fifth gear than you were in sixth? Yeah, I mean, I, I was still in sixth gear yeah. a lot of the race, but... Um, yeah, it, you I, know, just, I, always, I always set my bikes up with six speeds so that sixth gear was for downhill valleys. You know, yeah. Like, literally, literally it, was, it allowed me to get that top speed when I had the opportunity, 
you know, to, to go in and then, and then fifth gear, if I was in an uphill Valley or ground that was kind of soft or more sandy or something, it was pretty much fifth gear. And, you know, then, then if, if you, if it was really pulling good in fifth, you could click it in sixth and, you know, but it, I mean, those are those big long roads where you're just, you're just sending it. So yeah, you, 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 yeah. you made me wait a whole hour to say Husaberg 570. You know that? I, I was waiting for it. <laughs> I knew it was coming at some point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, hey, uh, thanks. Uh, do you have any other any other ones that we want to touch on? Um, I just have one quiz question for you. Okay. Um, I can answer nine the, out of ten quiz questions without referring to a reference manual. Um, this is just a, a random thing, but uh, Logan, you're going to um, answer this question too. By the way. Yeah, he's going to have to. I'm okay. putting it on him now. Deferring. Um, so on this bike, uh, ever since it was new. Uh, it has tend to, uh, pull a little, little bit of oil, the crankcase breather into the airbox. Um, and at the end of this race, I had quite the, quite the, uh, wet, uh, oil around, uh, in the airbox and underneath on the swing arm. And it's always done that. Um, I, I understand like crankcase pressure and all that type of stuff. Um, I just don't understand why on this bike i mean it's a good running bike it doesn't seem to be low on compression anything like that and i've just always wondered um you know i don't have the oil overfilled uh it's just a weird random uh phenomenon that i've had with this bike so okay logan you have to answer this question to the best of your ability go to youtube <laughs> good answer <laughs> yeah geez thanks logan <laughs> here's a teachable moment so pay attention to this logan so when that especially when you're at high rpm and just you're just singing you're basically making a, a big oily yep. mist inside of that motor the transmission yes. is spitting it up the crank is splashing around you've got jets that are squirting oil all over the place and up so the vent on that is up in the valve cover you know where the hose is that's on the back side of that valve yeah. cover. And that is generally, and, and a lot of times they're vented to atmosphere, but on that bike it's probably jetted, it's uh, vented into your airbox. And depending on how you have it set up, a lot of people block it off because they don't want to go. Well, it, it's jetted into the intake track and it goes in there so that when that mist starts, and it kind of condenses in the hose and sometimes it drips down and stuff, but it's in there so that the motor will kind of suck that oil back in and burn it up. Yeah, and, and sure, that's that's sure. the theory behind it and stuff. But as 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 much as in there, when you're on and off that throttle and stuff, sometimes the the, the pulse waves and stuff will actually start spitting that stuff back. It'll coat your airbox boot with oil, and you think about it, there's the the air, there's not enough velocity in in there to drag that can constantly drag it back in because it's imagine this mist is kind of constantly sticking to that airbox boot, and then it'll start pooling up and it'll start dripping down and running down. And high RPM is where that happens. Like if you're just putting around low RPM, not a problem. But I can tell you how you can make it happen. Ride down like a two or three mile long, super steep downhill where the, the oil can't stay up in the transmission and the crank can't pump it out. Then you'll see <laughs> on the old KTM, the RFS motors, uh, you'd be riding down. All of a sudden your bike would do this big plume of blue smoke because it just like all of a sudden there was a ton of oil getting pumped up into the valve cover and getting pumped out of the out of the vent line. But yeah, it's just, it's pretty normal. It's not going to go away. You will consume a little bit of oil and no matter how much you really have in there. Um, if you, over, yeah. if you overfill it, it's typically a little bit more. Um, 
but uh, you didn't have to add oil during the race, did you? No. So that's, that's the thing is, uh, yeah, you know, you don't want to overfill them because it can make it even worse. Right. Uh, but uh, I checked the oil because I knew it was going to be, uh, after so long, I knew that uh, there was going to be a little bit of oil in the airbox there and whatnot. So I checked the oil at pit eight. And I thought I was going to maybe have to add a little bit. And it was, I mean, it was right at the full mark still. So it's, I'm assuming that uh, with the oil heating up a little bit, it was probably uh, slightly lower than obviously when I when I started the race. But it was not uh, low enough that I needed to add oil. Yeah, so all the guys that are just so panicked when they see a little smoke come out of their exhaust or when they see a little oil dripping out of their motor or oil someplace. Uh, I always say just go get a, get a bottle of oil and just spill some. And measure. It's measure, like blood. Yeah, measure. Yeah, blood. Exactly. Measure. Measure the amount and spill it, and just see what it looks like. You know, spill it on your swing arm. You know, or if you decide to, you know, burn. You know, burn a little bit of oil. Just use a candle and burn some oil and see how much smoke it makes. And then you'll realize, like, man, it takes a lot of oil to make, you know, that much smoke. I mean, a lot, and or a li- you know, a little bit to make that much smoke. You get a lot of smoke per amount of oil. So, yeah. um, but so at the end of the race, you didn't add, and at the end of the race, you were still not too low. Yeah. I just checked it uh, uh, when I got home, and it's still full. I, I wasn't worried about it uh, in any sense. I just thought, you know what? I'm going to be prepared to add some if I need to. Smart uh, race because, prep, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I uh, for a long time, I've been going down to Baja and pitting for, you know, back in uh, Bruce Ogilvy days and Johnny Campbell days. I, I went down there and, and helped with all their pits and stuff like that. And there were times where we'd have to add oil to bikes. Yep. Uh, towards the end of a race and so i was prepared for that uh although i didn't need it so yeah. it was good prior proper preparation prevents piss poor performance there you yeah. go good my mechanic used to tell me that all the time he was talking about what i was doing not what he was doing <laughs> <laughs> did you listen uh yes yes he, he, he didn't know it at the time but i listened quite a bit uh, so, Hey, uh, Dallas, Hey, thanks a lot for calling in. Thanks for being a fan of the show. And I'm glad we got to kind of bounce around some ideas and, um, and, uh, I'm super stoked on your performance. That was, uh, that was good. Thank you. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep in touch and let me know if you need tips for the next one. Will do. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Everybody. That was uh, Dallas Theobald, Theobald and, uh, a fan of the show and obviously a pretty damn good racer to within a year being, Ready to start going Iron Man expert at the uh, at the Vegas Torino. That's uh, pretty good. When are you doing Iron Man at Vegas Torino? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, next week, next year. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, when you get a job, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could blow your bike up, and then you don't have to ride that far. <laughs> uh, let's see, what are we, we back into the? I got some questions in the room here, real quick. We're gonna run into here. Uh, Mark Daniels says, last week I saw a video of a guy who inserted a cutoff tube stem, like you do, to do his bib mousse. Anyhow, he used a syringe to inject the lube into the tube without dismounting it. Give him a great thumbs up on the idea. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to do it. I've seen guys put um, Zerk fittings on there. They put Zerk fittings in there and then they pump lube into it. Um, and you can find a lot of... <laughs> For every, uh, is that YouTube? You probably found that on YouTube, right, Logan? How many good, okay, so how many good things do you see on YouTube versus bad things? What's the ratio? I'd guess probably 50-50. 50-50. 
Wow, you're really giving him a lot of credit. <laughs> so he also, Mark Daniels also heard that Shorey Batteries is going to stop making batteries. Well, I sure hope not because they support my school and uh, I always need a battery or two for some of the 40 or 50 bikes that we run out of here. Uh, Dean Kemp, Jimmy, love the show. Getting my first adventure bike, a Tenere 700. What air pressure should I run and should I change the tubes? You should run 27 front and rear, uh, even with the stock tires. And uh, you should change the tubes uh, when you change your tires. I think I don't know. I I when I did I put I put Kenda tubes when I switched the tires in ours. I put Kenda heavy duty tubes in ours. I took out the the thin ones. Remember when they build those bikes, they want them to be light, and so the tubes are a good way to save weight. Uh, Michael Pound says, hey, Jimmy, I got a 07 KTM 200 XCFW, which is having a problem with the Kickstarter. When you kick it, it feels like it skips a couple of gear teeth, but finally engages. Doesn't an 07 have an electric start? No, it doesn't. Uh, too bad. This only happens occasionally, and I'm sure the problem is a wear issue and an easy fix, but as hot as it is in my garage, I'm lazy. Have you experienced this with my bike? No. I have not experienced that because I have an older one also. Uh, let's see. I'm thinking about – so I have tried really heavy viscosity gear oils that have caused that problem before. Uh, so the wrong uh, transmission fluid in that thing had – had I've noticed that on not specifically that bike but on other bikes I've seen that happen. And sometimes uh, the you just – there's the the where the the gear engages it's kind of a slide fit there's a spring on the back and sometimes that the the washer uh the washer or just that shaft might just have a little bit of debris or you know if you run it low on oil a lot of the debris can kind of come up there and stick to that shaft and cause that so um i would uh i would give that a try it, it's so easy to get that side cover off um just quit being lazy You're starting to sound like logan uh, and then San Felipe Bob will consult uh, Dallas on monkey butt. He's uh, he says he's and Kate's bars by the way. Uh, and then Janie says she got monkey butt because of sand on the jet skis. Now that there's a monkey butt discussion going on, so now we talked about how to pee and how to handle monkey butt on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. The most informative motorcycle motorcycle products and body care. Information you can get on the internets on a Tuesday night. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I should have started telling about Johnny Campbell pee his pants stories because Johnny used to do that, by the way, which made his boots really, really stink. Yeah, I feel like that's a skill. It's a skill? Oh, I can't do it. I, I tried. Really Go ahead, pee your pants. Like. Yeah, no. I, yeah. It, how would you? I never had to pee in a. You pee before the bomb and then you pee at the finish. Never had to pee at a District Thirty Seven race. <laughs> I must have the bladder of a camel too. Uh, when you get the hot rotors hot enough to blew them, change the brake brake fluid from the system. This is Chris Real, um, giving top flight super knowledgeable advice because if those rotors have gotten that hot, so is your brake fluid and it's compromised. Uh, great advice, Chris. Um, Trevor Hunter says he needs more George stickers and the problem is, did, Hey, did your George stickers come with any money? You know how much money mine came with? 
you should talk talk to talk to the pro here and getting sponsors there, Trevor. Hey, Trevor's story on his Vegas Torino experience is up on Dirt Bike Test. Of course, I haven't read it. Read it. I haven't edited it. I think I shot the lead photo though, which makes me kind of proud because I'm a really horrible photographer. I just have a good autofocus on my camera. Uh, and uh, George is negotiating with him right here in the chat room. Um, oh, and they wanted to know if Dallas had changed the air filter during the race. I'm gonna guess that he did. <laughs> that was it. That that is one thing about V2R. It's silty, and he started behind quads. Yeah, I know because I rode over forty sportsmen or something a few years ago with a friend, and uh, I had to pass quads. And oh, I was sandbagging. Uh, DB T-shirts. How do we obtain? Well, it's interesting. We have a website. It's www.dirtbiketest.com, and you can go there. Where's the shirt ad? I should just snap my fingers and be like magic. You can get a nice dirt bike test shirt, but uh, I'll have you know that we are out of a lot of sizes. Um, we are running low on supply because we're spending all of our money investing in a digital magazine. Oh, did you actually hear that? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh... There's a discount available at Kate's Bars until 8.23. I don't know anything about it. I haven't talked to them much lately. I, I know Kate disappeared, and, and uh, I still have a couple left, so I'm okay. But when I run out, I'll be calling them for sure. Okay, what's the next question, Logan? Where are we at? Um, Top one. Oh, what's his name? I think it's the Less Death 69. Um, is it? That's your friend. Your buddy. Yeah. That's your buddy. Okay. Uh, don't mock the Chevy Spark. I used to own a Chevy Spark electric vehicle, and it has 400 foot-pounds of torque stock. I would spin the tires from a stop through 45 miles per hour before the front wheels would regain traction. It was a riot to drive. Okay, so the Chevy Spark I was talking about was a three-cylinder gas-engined, high-efficiency vehicle driven by none other than Crazy Nate Shakwa. You ever ridden in the Chevy Spark? No. Sparky, his little car. Well, he retired it, by the way. <laughs> I, I don't know where it, I don't know where it went. I think he wanted more power. Um, but uh, that's the one I was referring to. But I do know that um, yeah, four hundred foot-pounds of torque until it starts spinning, and then it makes about ten. Uh, so typical electric motor. Okay. Uh, what do they say about our YZ 450 F podcast with me and Trevor with horrible sound quality? Charlie, Charlie Tuna, 1971. Yamaha had a street legal version, please. It says make, make. a street legal version, please. Uh, they won't. Yamaha, Yamaha is the, is one of the manufacturers. So you see how... You know, certain manufacturers start a trend like KTM takes their motocross race bike and s sl quickly dilutes it into an, a dual sport bike that you can buy. They look very similar. And, and Yamaha has not done that. They have never taken their motocross race bike. And, I mean, they even struggle to do it with the WR. The WR comes very corked up. And so I don't see them doing that. It's just not in their philosophy. And they just don't feel like... Maybe they have a you know some standards or durability standards or the legal department just won't allow it, but I just don't see that happening. Yeah, you have to you have to say what the next thing is. I want to see how you do this because those that's this is for you. Asling George. Yep. OMG Heart Eyes Emoji uh Kissy Lips Heart 
wrapped a twinkle heart heart. So it sounds like he's in love with the YZ450F or, yes. or is our podcast. Can't tell. I mean, it's probably, it's probably our podcast because, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Me and Trevor talking about that bike for 27 minutes. If you want to know anything about that bike that you couldn't find out anyplace else, you should listen to that. And there's some pretty cool photos in there that Trevor took as well. Uh, the Tenere, Bruce Collin asks, Cat, Callan, Cat, Catlin, Catlin, Bruce Catlin. You have my board hanging. Love the assessment and lovely daughter. Thanks. Uh-huh. It's and you know he read that properly. He read that verbatim. You have my board hanging. Love the assessment and lovely daughter. So I'm glad that you think that my wife is my lovely daughter in that video. Uh-huh. Uh my board hanging. That's strange. <laughs> I asked him if he used tra a translator in that, you know, some sort of weird voice matron translator or something like that. So, uh, okay, yeah, I, I'll get clarification, come back to you. Patrick Work, Wok, Wakalar, Wakalar. Hold on, let me do this, let me do this the right way. <laughs> you know how I'm going to do this, right? Patrick Wakalar. Okay, <laughs> I had to do that, my new toy. Check out Adventure Spec for some great options for bash plate and crush bars. He's talking about for the Tenere 700. Uh, Adventure Spec, I know they make a lot of cool stuff, so if you're looking for stuff, crash bars and things, uh, go there, evidently. Um, Mark Taylor, would like to hear your thoughts on recluse clutch and steering stabilizer for Tenere 700. Oh, that's nail driver. We already got his thing. Cool. Right, didn't we? Yeah, a percentage of hair scrambles in motocross riding. Uh, great show. Uh, you should have just said John straight to the great show part. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next. John Mullet Mullen. I've been waiting for this review forever. Jimmy approved. Oh, see, that's that's how you get on the show, John. Thank you for uh, yeah. Uh, I you uh, so. You waited for the review forever, and you only found it four days ago, and it was up a couple months ago. So, and my approval means something. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, KTM three ninety. Mao cow bell. Mao cow bell. Look like a great good replacement for the Kawasaki KLR six fifty, the KTM three hundred seventy two cc. Motor puts out more than more power than the old KLR. That's probably true. Um, it the KLR, it's like <laughs> the power of those two bikes is like inverted. Like the KLR makes all its power, it's like an electric motor goes chug, 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 like that. And the KTM, you have to rev it up to get the power. So, kind of different styles of delivering um, the power. I think uh, both are good at what they do. If you're looking for a KLR replacement, I say go Tenere 700. That's I think we said that in the and I think we said that in the review as well. The 390 is just it's uh it, if if you if you like a KLR 
and you like that chug, 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 you're not going to like revving the 390. And we had a question about this last week on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, number 71, where we were talking about like revving. I think we were talking about like revving bikes or are they safe to rev? And it's like, yeah, you can rev them all day long. It's just for most of us, it's not super comfortable. So, uh, yeah. Um, by Mocken Fastnet. Oh, let me try this name. Let me try it too. Hey, you see these cool little plastic things we got from uh, uh, Cameron Coatney, a friend of ours. He does a Southern California dual sport riders, something he was playing with his uh, 3D printer, made those little dirt bike test logos. Uh, our new toy to play with and make noise at the uh, on the set here. Bimmochen, Bimmochen, Bimmochen Bass, Bassnet. Okay, what does he want to know? Um, can you please test BMW 3, 310GS? We could. So somebody's going to have to call BMW and tell them to get us a test bike. <laughs> or I could call BMW. And, I don't, we don't have time. You want to test one? Sure. Yeah, shrugs his shoulders don't work very well on podcasts. Yeah, yeah you want it? Okay. So I'll, I'll get you the number of the guy at BMW, and I'll have you call him. You can call him tomorrow. Tell him who you are. Tell him you're on this really famous podcast with a super awesome co-host named Jimmy Lewis who used to race motorcycles for you, BMW that is, and uh, and and they'll probably just send one out. They'll probably put it in a – like knowing BMW, they'll bring it out here like immediately – and roll a red carpet out and put a crown on your head and you get to walk up to that bike. They do things first class, man. Yeah. Yeah. You could get used to that, but you're going to have to work at it. <laughs> so Dallas got back to us and said that he, he ran a filter skin and he pulled it off at pit four and he changed the filter at pit eight and put a fresh filter skin on at the same time. If you were curious about how many filters he went to, which is kind of what I expected, I would suspect to do. And then he had the opportunity to pull the filter skin again, uh, you don't know what a filter skin is. It's kind of like putting pantyhose over your air filter, and it sits on there, and you attach the air filter, and then there's a string on it, and you can pluck it, and it pulls the the kind of like the initial layer of dust on there and gives you about three-quarters of a clean filter to continue on and keep going if it, if it plugs. Like, it's really good in silt beds. Like, if you go through a silt bed and your filter starts plugging, you can pull it off and then be really careful how you get out of the silt bed which most riders aren't, they, they pull it off and the bike starts running again. It's usually a bike just, it's just runs out of air and gets rich and die. You pull it off and then, and then they start the bike up and they get going. What do they do? Hold it wide open and drop the clutch and they fill the whole air box up with silt again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's funny cause you can ride really slow through silt and it acts just like water. It splashes a little bit, but it won't get you wet. If you just really take your time, but try doing that in a race. Yeah. Impossible. Okay. Boomer. What does Boomer want to know? Um, Jimmy badass at on a BMW rally bike. Lewis. Best review I've seen on any bike. See that guy knows how to get on the show. Boomer. Yeah. New fan. Top fan. How can I give you a top fan status? In this, <laughs> this class. Uh, yeah, see, they want us to test BMWs, don't they? Yeah. Yep. Okay, next. Um, the Gas Gas. Michael Howard. Great advert advert for the sport slash hobby of trails. 
Trials. Trials. Uh, remember six psi front four in rear three two four psi tire pressure. That is how much traction you can have. How did he spell tire? T y r e. You know what that means? Brit. 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 You just listened to Bob. You yeah. totally cheated. Yeah, that's how you spell. That's how you spell tire on the other side of the world. Brit. Yeah. Uh, we have a WR450F question? Yes. Yeah, you have to read that. Good morning. I have a... I'm out of beer, too. 2014 <laughs> two men from tuned on. It reheats. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You need to read the Jose, Luis, Paul, Ooh. and Yaya Chavez question. Did I get that name right? Jose, Luis, Paul, Paul, Anya Chavez has a question. Bien dia. Good day. Tango un 2014. I have a dosiento novas. I don't know the numbers, but yeah, 2014. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a lost dos men. D incentia resoli inta como un plancha e e me ora refrigera ref yeah they have you have Spanish class yet. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. How'd you do? Got like a C. A C? Yeah. And you can't even spit out those words? All we did was numbers. Oh, I need to talk to his teachers. Actually, you need to get that teacher that was talking to me. You need to get that teacher that was trying to get me some kids in here to edit video. He just he disappeared. That guy. Yeah, is that what it is? That guy. I need, I, need some, I need some more help. Okay, keep going. You got, you got like seven more words, 18 more words, something like that. El refrigeria por el desfugue alguien mi portia decir cien esta uh, 2019 uh-huh. tiene este mismo del there's too many words that I don't remember because I took Spanish too I got a bad grade I got a really <laughs> bad grade I was thinking about racing motorcycles that day. <laughs> Um, he said something about the refrigerator is not working, and my 2019 is much better today. Um, it, you're exactly right, Jose. Yeah, you. If if you're listening to this show in English <laughs> or our videos in English, uh, we sh- uh, we could have used the Google Translate, but we're not that smart. Uh, thank you for watching the show. <laughs> I like I like my South American audience. They're awesome. <laughs> okay, next question. Oh, this is from you. Ask it live. Oh. So Jimmy, studio audience here, question live from the he tried to write it, but I know that Logan can't read that writing. Oh no, that was that. But I'll ask. Oh wait, somebody translated it? Yeah. Who? Me you, and George. Oh do you mean George did it for you? No. You did it? Yes. Oh, okay, hold on. I can read this question. I have a 2014 
Two minutes from turned on, it reheats like an iron, and I can release, cool it down, the vent. Could someone tell me if this is a 2019? You have the same detail. Well, that's exactly what I thought it said. Something about the refrigerator. You put the bike in the refrigerator is what you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what you do. Um, if it's... Uh, does that bike have a thermostat, the WR? I think some of them may have. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't reheat like an oven. <laughs> it shouldn't put it in the refrigerator. Uh, okay, what was the next, your question? So a uh, 250 TPI, turn it into a 300. Yes. Besides the obvious cylinder piston, etc., as far as electronics and the fuel injection, what are you up against there? He's so Jimmy's asking if I take a 250 TPI and turn it into a 300. Aside from the obvious uh, piston cylinder head, because I think the strokes are the same. Yeah, strokes. What are you up against as far as the? I don't know. No. My question is, I don't know, and I suspect they're slightly different. I, I, the partner was um, on a different injector. The part the injectors are different. Different part number. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bob might have an answer for this. One of the injectors. They, got more, they have two. Of yeah, one in each side. One of the, the port, port timing is different. Port timing is different on the bikes. Uh, well, we got we got some negotiations going on here. Cylinder, uh, no, if the piston, the velocity is going to be the same because the velocity is based on the crank. It's moving but more air. It's moving, yeah, okay, it is moving more air. I would suspect it's a little bit different. How much different is, you know, one of the biggest tricks in the old days was to take the 250 ECU and throw it onto the, in the carbureted bikes and throw it onto the 300. It gave it definitely a different uh, power character. But at that point, you had the ability to adjust the jet. So I imagine if you had a piggyback tuner, like just dropping that stuff on top would not be an issue. You could probably tune it, you know, into you know, a, a way that it works, but you could probably, if you, if you just got the black box or had your black box flash to 300 spec, because right. I think a KTM dealer could do that. Then you would yeah. be, you got a good line in a 250. Where is it? Cause so I need to buy it before you do. Yeah. Oh, I know. And yeah. are kind of about two grand cheaper. Really? Well, I, you know what? I, I don't, I don't think like, I don't think there's a $2,000 power difference between those bikes. Uh, I think for, for, for your riding and what you're doing, you'd be pretty damn happy with a 250. I know. Yeah, yeah I get it. Yeah. I, I, I've I, had a 250. I, I might. You like the 300 better? We all do. I do. Uh, yeah. Really yeah, maybe I should I get a 300, like a 250. Who knows? Uh, okay. So are we done with questions? We have any other good stuff? Um, yeah, George, I see George try to translate it there. Uh, you need Marty Gomez to translate. <laughs> or Victor. Yeah. Victor, Victor, he's probably banned from Facebook. He's not banned from the show yet. You know, he's not he's not trying hard enough, but you never know. Uh, the battery's going low in the computer. Uh, have any questions, Logan? No. Nope. You got your KTM read all dialed in. I want. I'm going to let you read it off of the off of the chart, but I want you to read it like a real radio announcer this time because I'm torturing you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, power, 
powered by a distinct ready-to-race mentality. KTM is the world's leading high-performance street and off-road sport motorcycle manufacturer. The voice of Matron's not working. What's wrong? <laughs> With North American headquarters based in Marietta, California, over the years, KTM has built a... A reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world. The brand's remarkable glove of success is reflected in every move, in every product it develops, and every move it makes. Okay, I gotta figure out how to turn it off now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hey, thanks to KTM, thanks to Takamoto for sponsors, thanks to Recluse. What does Recluse make you? Um, auto clutches. What do they make you? A better rider? How many times have you stalled with a recluse? Once. Once. <laughs> uh, only once? Yeah. Okay. It's because you're bad with your throttle hand. Uh, climb for their new colors of adventure gear. Hey, I also saw someplace that Climb is having some specials on some of their uh, F5 helmets, like at a uh, reduced rate. A really good vented helmet. That's the one I like to put on my head before I run into the ground. So, uh, anyways, with that, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining in. This has been another exciting episode of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, where both Logan and I hope that you learned something from our uh, shenanigans over here. Um, this is uh, about the best we can do, right, Logan? Yeah. Okay, so with that, we will see you out on the trail. Cheers. Cheers.